Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So hello, everyone. Welcome in today. Today is actually a pre-recorded broadcast uh, earlier in the day, and I'm excited to welcome to the podcast another distinguished leader, educator, a journalist, and an author, uh, someone who's going to talk to us about um, uh, the how to teach the truth, uh, something that we've, we have, have been in our conversations for quite a while, if you've been tuned in, even when it's challenging. Uh, so many accolades uh, to his credit, uh, has been on boards, is a uh, as a distinguished lecturer. I'm just pleased to be able to have this conversation today and welcome Arnold Holtberg. Welcome, Arnold. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Brian. Well, pleasure to have you. So as I as I queued up here, I uh I mentioned to you uh off off recording that um you know with a number of my friends, I've had a number of conversations that really um, just make us wonder about what's going to happen next with um, with society, uh, especially when it seems that it's getting much and much harder, one, to distinguish truth from fiction and lies from the truth, um, but that how important it has become to teach the truth. And I, you recently wrote a opinion piece about how to teach the truth. And I love kind of parenthetically, even when it's challenging. And so before we get into that, I'd love, tell me a little bit about yourself um, and what what made you decide that this was something you needed to uh, speak on? Um, just a little bit about your background, and and then uh, what made you decide to to talk about this? Well, when I was in college and thereafter, I was aiming for the ordained clergy, and my feeling about being an ordained minister is that one is to speak the truth all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we know from history, no matter what religion, that speaking the truth in theological settings can be dangerous. Mm. So therefore, even when it's difficult, especially when it's difficult, perhaps. So I've always been inclined to, to, to assume that the truth matters and to use the old, perhaps cliche from an old, old hymn, the truth shall set you free. Well, that has always been my feeling. Now, I recognize that sometimes the truth can get you in trouble. Yeah. It can get you criticized. It can get you harmed and worse. We know that. History tells us that. But what I worry about greatly in this era, and as a teacher since 1973, that young people, all people, aren't being taught the truth, that they're being taught shades of what might be purported as truth and not being allowed to make up their own minds about the facts. Mm -hmm. And we know that facts can be arguable or argued about anyway, 
but truth matters. Mm -hmm. And just because something causes you discomfort doesn't mean you should shy away from it. Just the opposite. One should deal with it, confront it, and hear what other people have to say about it. Yeah. You know, uh, there are, there. we've had on the show a few teachers and even scholars that have talked about uh, the recent trend in in politics to talk about uh, not sharing certain aspects of history because of the division it might cause, uh, not to tell the entire story uh, for fear of it being uncomfortable to other people. And I'd, I'd just like to hear, especially from a historical perspective, um, your thoughts on on preserving what might be the semblance of of unity instead of just telling the truth. And what made it come to mind for me in this moment was is is just that uh, the, just the the level of effort that some are going to now we've heard around the country about book bans and certain aspects of curriculum, historical curricula um, that are being prohibited because it's making people uncomfortable. But now in an age, I, the more, it, it seems as though, at least for me, because I'm an avid reader and day after day, I'm finding out something new that wasn't the truth that that we had been taught um uh their books that people have written everything i learned in kindergarten was the was a lie you know all kinds of things that are are now be surfacing because it's the the access to information is so widespread now i'm going to get i'm going to get to in a moment false information but but for now I'd love to hear, especially from an historical perspective, your thoughts about that, the the truth being shared or tailored to preserve uh, unity. I believe the truth cannot hurt one unless one is fearful of the truth because it, it um, contradicts one's hope for the way things should be instead of the way things are. Mm. For instance, I, uh, well, it looks like Boston city schools okay. would be de desegregated. Well, Boston was, and most people can't believe this, probably in this era, Boston was probably considered the most racist city in America mm -hmm. in that era. It made almost Bull Connors, Birmingham seem not bad, but not that bad. And I would live 25 miles from town. Sure. Well, what I did with my class was presented what was going on, even though I, it was a current events section in a history class. And we took a look at it from the point of view of rights, equality, educational opportunities for all and how do we move the whole society forward and my students were from the inner city and they were from the wealthiest suburbs in the east coast and maybe even california that we had boarding students 
And we dealt, I put that on the table, got newspaper clippings or articles, put it in front of them from different newspapers who had very different views on the matter and said, here we go, girls and boys, what do you think? We put it down, we put it out there. There was the facts as other people presented it, even though we knew, as we watched on the news every night, the horror of what was going on in the city of Boston, and it was horror. And, uh, and we talked about it. And did everybody agree on every point? Absolutely not. But did people, well, I required the kids to be respectful, to listen, and to voice their opinions without raising their voices and being angry, but to articulate clearly their convictions about the matter. And we all grew and, and we dealt with the truth. And it was a hard truth. If one had watched the television in 1975, 76 from the Boston TV stations, it was painful. I don't care what race you were. I don't care what anything you were. It was painful. So I think that's very important. I, and I was thinking too, Brian, the, just yesterday, in fact, in anticipation of this meeting about the... Um, you know, the, the, the movies and writings about the Middle Passage. Yeah. And how, you know, we have had at least at least one state say that slavery, you know, was a great vocational training program of sorts. Yes. Which is horrifying. And I think back to the Middle Passage when I saw the movie. Um, and I, I've read works about it. And there's no question that that was dehumanization on steroids. It was grossly unjust and inhumane. No one can turn that into anything positive. People have. People yeah. have. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? Why, why do people have trouble with that? Well, because they, 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 do they feel guilty or do they just want to deny reality? So I think we need to keep putting reality out front and saying, here, here are the facts and respond to the facts. And by the way, what happened yesterday doesn't mean you're guilty today of it. Sure, sure. It means that we need to avoid repeating this cycle sure, sure. and love our brothers and sisters. Yes, yes. And I, I, think, I think to some extent, the conflict arises out of the disagreement about what the facts are. So, right. so you have people who would say, from my perspective, it was vocational training, and 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 as you and I agree on this, that it was it was not that, and and so to call it a stretch would be an understatement that that was vocational training. Um, I've I've talked with also a number of historical um, experts. Uh, I've talked to people to try to understand the psychology of why people see things like this in a different way. And, yes. and one hypothesis that has been um, brought up is that a lot of groups and, and meaning groups of people from an ethnic group or a racial group have so tied their uh, legitimacy or their their um, accomplishments to a false narrative that meaning things like IQ or or abilities uh, they've so tied it to that narrative 
that to go back and and undo that would in some ways feel like they aren't as legitimate as as mm -hmm. they have mm -hmm. purported to be. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think this relates to what you've just said. A couple of years ago, a, there was a football team in Washington, D.C., and their name nickname for decades had been the Redskins. So I, I was having a conversation with a gentleman who grew up in the Washington, D.C. area and had always been a Washington football fan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He was outraged that the team would change their name to, it's, I guess it's the Commanders now. Is that right? Yes. Um, so from the, and he was arguing, this is just nonsense. And I said, well, hold it. What if we had called this team the Washington Whiteies or the Washington White Boys? How would you feel about that? Well, uh, he was, he was onto another topic because that reality was not anywhere near his conscious, conscious domain. So he ignored it, which I said, wait, 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 hold it. How can that be? You would like that, I'm sure. I, I would like it. We could we could think of a lot of other names, pejorative names for various ethnic and racial groups that no one would like. Sure. So he said, well, anyway, the the um he said Indians, the Indians got what they deserved. Wow. They got what they deserved. There were more. Sorry, I'm gonna to have to ask you. We we're experiencing. Yeah, my family but, didn't get. We, to, we, we we there was a there was a break. Uh, and, yeah, I'm sorry. Out. If you could just go back, repeat that, please. Okay. So so he you know he 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 said there were more of them than us. If they'd have been braver and smarter, they wouldn't have lost to us. And and I brought up the issue of genocide. Mm -hmm. By the way, the native people were here long before my family, yeah. which got. North America in the 20th century. that means mm -hmm. because all, all of what he was describing happened in um, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries. So we, we got that, but we didn't get very far because he, he, to your point, I think, Brian, he did not want to hear that. Mm -hmm. And those were, those were the truths. What we did to NATO, what we, and I'm going to add myself to we, even though my family isn't part of we, did to natives was deplorable and it was just plain genocide. So, so now if I had students in class, I would have greater control over that. I wouldn't want to control them, but I have greater control over how they responded to the information. Where I think with adults, to your point, our minds are set often and we do not want to hear the truth because the truth is, and it's not even when the truth is painful, it's especially maybe when the truth is painful, we've got to keep working and working and working at it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm committed committed to doing that and, and uh, trying to, in, in the most respectful and considerate ways, reminding people that they're not dealing with facts, they're dealing with truly fiction in lots of cases. Oh, no, absolutely. Conversation, Brian, just uh, a month ago.
barely African-American descent. And I will say African descent. Now I will say primarily because she brought this up in, in a similar, just a casual private conversation. She said, you know, I've had my DNA done. And I'm, and I, and I'm, I think I'm, I'm close here. Mm -hmm. I'm 84% African descent and 16% European descent. I know how I got the 16% European. And it wasn't, it was forcible rape is what it was, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. I mean, but you've got to be willing to admit that and that I'm not guilty of that. Heaven, we have to recognize that there were sins of the past. I want to repeat them in the future. Yes. That'd be my opinion anyway. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. Now, you have been uh, the headmaster of a school in Texas, um, and there have been definitely, with a lot of things that are happening and going on right now in Texas, there have been challenges to the way people are are responding to uh, immigrants. Um, there have been, been challenges to the way people are responding to immigrants. Yes. And, uh, and so... How did you in in that context? Because it could be, it could very well have been in New England, but um, in a in in a place that's particularly known to struggle with racial uh, disparities and and issues, how did you go about um, ensuring as a leader that yes? that you you had people that had the courage number 1 mm -hmm. to tell the truth yes. but number 2 also had the had the uh willingness that they were they 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 wanted to tell the truth um that mm -hmm. um and I don't know which comes first do you have to be willing first and then the courage probably so but but that those two elements how did you how did you go about making sure that those were um requisite uh, uh traits of the teachers you had well i think like you i'm an avid reader and from the time i learned to read i have read a lot and i've read broadly and i'm grateful for that my parents weren't college educated but they wanted us to get ahead to achieve the american dream i suppose you know the sons son and daughter of immigrants and boy oh boy they wanted us to make it in this in this country so they encouraged us to uh, do well in school and encourage us to read a lot and so uh, whether you read the bible or you end up reading to kill a mockingbird or you you name it there are courageous people you can study martin luther study dietrich bonhoeffer read diary of a young girl on and on and on. The bravery, there are so many examples of bravery in the face of horror and ugliness, and one can learn from them. Now, converting what one knows in one's head to one's heart and one's stomach is another thing. And I, I just gave a talk to a group at a Unitarian Universalist church, and someone asked me, well, what do you do? You know, when someone disagrees with me and gets angry at me because I'm disagreeing with him, what do I do? And I said, well, I understand because, you know, my impulse, I don't want to tell you what all my impulses are in those circumstances because they're not always the right ones. But what I've learned and been taught is step back, take a deep breath, 
know that you're you have conviction and for good reason and say to the person i'm sorry but i disagree with you and i can tell you what 99 of the time in my experience that stops people right in their tracks because you're being respectful but you're being clear that you at least want a new starting point and that's we disagree and please let me explain myself if you would and that, and then we go. But how do you have the courage? Well, read, read, read Martin Luther. Read Dr. Martin Luther King. Read Mother Teresa. You know, read Gandhi. Yeah. And they all had a way of dealing with conflict. I mean, Gandhian principles, which Dr. King adopted mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the struggle for racial equality in this country. Well, you don't have to put your fists up. In fact, I think you know, uh, it would take. Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce, very famous for saying, I will fight no more forever. I don't know how many people know that quote anymore. I'm a huge reader on Native American studies, lived on a Micmac reserve in uh, New Brunswick, Canada for mm -hmm. a summer and worked with indigenous people up close and personal and saw the horrors of what went on in that, that country as well as you know what went on in ours. It's, you just have to hang in there and know that people have gone before us and Plenty of them have paid with their lives, but you know, mm. but look at the, look at the, and I don't want to pay with my life, please, but they made an impact on so many of us forever. And, and I will fight no more forever. But Chief Joseph also said, it doesn't take many words to tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I try to remind myself, don't babble, don't talk. Just say you you disagree and be clear why you disagree. Yes. And 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 be calm. Yes. You know, I I uh, and thank you for that. I have traveled a lot, been uh, in a variety of settings all over the world, and had an opportunity to sit in on in classrooms. So I've seen the dynamic between teachers and students, but also teacher meetings, um, administrative leadership teams. And and so I know you also uh, spent some time uh, in in Asia uh, as a as a principal head of school. And often when I'm talking to people in the states, a lot of times they feel like the circumstances of of this particular problem are unique to the United States. However, I've seen bits and pieces of, pieces of this all over the world. And I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that um, based on your experience. Did you see that some of the same patterns of what we're struggling with, did you see those? Because you, you clearly, I know having served as a principal, you spent far more time overseas than I have. Um, but in your time, did you did you see that it, there were very similar struggles uh, from both society and those microcosms that were your schools? Very much so. And and our our issue, our original sin in the United States of America is slavery. Not everybody shares that equally by any means. Many of parts of the world share slavery. 
we just got to go back. Moses knew a little bit about slavery, if I recall. He and the Pharaoh had a little difference of opinion on that matter way back when, thousands of years ago. Mm -hmm. That's not new, but it is our original sin. What I saw living overseas and traveling to many countries, particularly in Asia, was racism and ethnocentrism without without question. Um, you know, within the Asian cultures, there is racism. Some Asians have historically thought their, themselves to be superior to other Asians. Mm -hmm. Why should that? Why should that surprise us here in North America? I don't know, but I think it does often. And you know, an Asian's an Asian and is an Asian to, to a lot of people who are among us, shall we say? Well, there's a social psychological psychological principle called about the other, and oftentimes we human beings have anxiety about the other, fear of the other, hatred for the other no matter who the other is. And surprise, surprise, Brian, what about the, the continent of Africa? Have all those peoples loved each other? There are, I mean, over the millennia? No, 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 no. Because someone who is different, whatever the difference is, can sometimes gain our enmity. So yeah, I, I saw it up close and personal. And, you know, and I could name names in terms of what specifics, but sure, I mean, there were there was there was shunning, there was maltreatment, all sorts of things of people who just because they are different, and it's 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 uh, it's part of the human species, I yeah. think. Yeah, tragically, it's, it's our Achilles, it's one of our Achilles heels, and um, so we have to work day in and day out. I worked at a school where we had forty nations. It was an American curriculum school, though, very sophisticated group of people typically multinationals, State Department, mm -hmm. governmental officials from various countries, very highly educated group. So we avoided a lot of that because people knew better. That doesn't mean everybody had the right attitudes or treated everybody respectfully, but we got a higher level of, of, of behavior on a daily basis there. But even there, there was a pecking order. You could tell from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And that, that's been my experience as well. Well, listen, we're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you this. What would be your advice for, for the novice leader that is in, in a variety of contexts, not just in schools, but someone who's going to be a leader or is a leader, and yeah. they're, they're really trying to grapple with um truth-telling, both historical and, because uh, historical doesn't necessarily mean that it's got to be a hundred years, that there are these kinds of issues comes, they come up within organizations, right? That there, there are different perspectives on what happened, how a company was founded, or how an organization moved from one place to the next. But what would be your advice to uh, a person who is in a leadership role and and going to grapple with uh, the idea of 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 truth telling and and more importantly how to demonstrate that to, to others because one assumption I think that is made is that 
as people are adults, they all understand by the time they become adults, they understand the consequences and the implications of of untruth. Um, we make that assumption about people a lot of times, sure, right? Sure. Um, and and without recognizing that uh, sometimes even adults need need instruction or guidance yeah. on how to do certain yeah. uh, things that we we assume are adult skills. So what would be your advice to someone um, in a leadership role with with adults that they are that they are in this this kind of quandary about? I think it's very simple and very profound all at once. I would say identify what your mission is on this and start with the mantra, that unconditional positive respect for all is central to who you are. And it will be central to everybody in your organization. And that mantra will be repeated every day. It's sort of like every morning I get up and I say, God help me to love you and love my neighbor. Mm -hmm. That's the way to start every day. The other is God help me. And I'm speaking from, from my own vantage point as a person of faith, but please help me to 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 be respectful of all others and to be courageous enough to listen to all others every step of the way. That doesn't mean agree. And then do it and take the time, take the deep breaths to hang in there when the going gets tough and not yield. Because you know, people ask me all the time, how do you do it? Well, take a deep breath, know what your, 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 your core philosophy is, and be strong. Martin Luther said, have faith and sin boldly. People have co-opted that phrase. Well, they like the sin boldly part better than the have faith <laughs> part. But what, he would, what Luther was saying was, you have faith in God and in Jesus Christ, in his case, and then you live this life as bravely as you can, and you accept the consequences for your behavior. But never, never veer from faith, respect, and and that's where you need to reside. Uh, you know, I, and I think that's that's absolutely right. So stand in there. Is it easy? Listen, ah, no, hardly hardly easy, but necessary. Easy and necessary are hardly the, the, the same things. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I think that's that's where it is. And, and um, I can tell you, it, it, things turn out better. There's a school that I worked at where the uh, the the uh, elementary school prayer went. Some one of the phrases went something like this: "Help me to do in your sight alone, as though the whole world saw." That's a heck of a thing to carry around in your breast pocket and pull out when you need to. Yeah. You know, whatever your higher being might be, whatever your, your power is, that's where you need to reside. Mm. And that's hard because we human beings love to please others. Yes. Yes. We love to please others to our own detriment and others' detriment often. Absolutely. Well, listen, thank you so much again uh, for agreeing to come on and have this conversation with me. You've enlightened me. So listen, I know there are people who will want to uh, know how to follow you and where they can yeah. read about 
the work that you've done. Uh, so tell tell us where where can we um, uh, find your any postings, um, uh, social media handles, or where where to find you? Email addresses or well, uh, LinkedIn is a primary place. I've got I don't know how many followers there, and and it's it's becoming increasingly active, which I'm pleased by. Uh, ArnieHopeberg.com is another site which is is new and. Uh, yeah, my, my son and his business partner are managing that for me. So they're going to make sure that I do a better job of staying in the conversation. Sure. And, I, and I'm pleased, pleased by that and thankful for their support. And um, and then the two newspapers I write for, the Dallas Morning News and the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, and I'm working on a column on what do teachers need? What do teachers need? And uh, it's hard, but I think it's one of the most important columns I've ever written, quite honestly. And and is that going to be in the Dallas? Dallas Morning News. I don't know when yet because I've got it worked out. I've asked a couple of colleagues to provide me with assistance. So I'm going to draft it tomorrow and they get to savage it, as it were, speaking (laughs) of current. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then I'll run it, run up in the next week or so, I'll run it by the Dallas Morning News people. So, Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, again, thank you again for coming on and just wishing you the best in all of your endeavors. Um, And so until we uh, meet and talk again, go well, stay well.